Hi, this is Sam Electric Go. Uh, can you hear Hi. me? Karim Zafania? Yes. Hi, how are you? Good. Just make sure you don't hit the finish record button. Gotcha. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Sorry about uh, that. That's, that's fine. So um, th I'm Sam Electric Ghost, and um, I have a podcast on Anchor FM. I've been interviewing indie artists from around the world since 2018. We have nice. almost 20,000 listeners. Um, awesome. And we are actually sponsored by Spotify, and Anchor is a Spotify company. Very so. cool. I love Spotify. <laughs> so I'm glad to have you. You're um, right now. What you're in Los Angeles? No, I'm actually in Houston. Houston, you're in Houston Texas. Texas. Houston, Texas. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I always get. I talked to a couple of people in Los Angeles. I got I probably got you confused. Sorry. Yeah. Um, no, I get it. Um, I get yeah. So it's great to have you on. We love to talk to indie artists, singer songwriters, and producers. Who thank you so much for having me. Thank you. That don't get the attention. I think they need to. You know, I think a lot of work is being done in social media like Instagram and YouTube and on platforms like Spotify and SoundCloud and that's why I, I look to find what's going on in the music world I'm a producer musician myself and um, love it I decided to start interviewing people because you know I like to learn about music I have a big library of music I use as reference points from jazz to hip-hop to EDM to punk to rock every type of genre I'm into. And so mm -hmm. talking to musicians as a musician, I felt like if a musician interviewed another musician, you could get things out of musicians that maybe somebody else that isn't a musician wouldn't ask. And so that's Right. Yeah, that's so true. That's yeah, why I started Because you understand it. the facet <laughs> of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you've got like a brand new single out, AHS. I do. Yeah, Chino Red yeah. and Bren, Ben Franklin and uh, yeah. other folks on it. Uh, Jacob Dill. Uh, yeah. Um, Jacob Dill, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know if you wanted to talk about your latest track and then go back into your other history or just talk. Usually sure. what we do is we kind of, we'll talk about your music, but we probably usually step back a little bit and we talk about the questions I sent you, like, what, when did you first get into music? And what you know excited you about music, and what got you into it? So maybe we'll start of there. So, so maybe you can okay. talk about like how you got into music, and what's your like your 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 driving passion in music, and why you're writing your own material. Of course. So a little bit about AHS. A lot of people, I guess it's a very controversial type of song right now for my fan base or my supporters. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are asking me, so Karam, what are you doing? Why are you, what does AHS stand for? What's happening here? So I have a funny story behind that single. So if you've seen the artwork, you see that there obviously it's a it's a illustration of myself, Jacob, Ben, and Chino. And we're all sitting around a campfire roasting marshmallows or making s'mores with the Baphomet. Yeah. So a lot of people are like, well, what is this image? <laughs> so basically, um, the reason why I created the song is because I was getting a lot of accusations that maybe I was a satanic uh, singer or, you know, artist or something like that. Because I have another song called Down With Zeus. Yeah. And um, on Down With Zeus, there's an artwork of myself and it's supposed to be kind of like a Final Fantasy character. So if you know what Final Fantasy is, yeah, uh, yeah. your characters are very, you know, exaggerated and very, uh, you know, just mythical, I guess you could say. 
Um, so we created something. Yeah, fans, it's the fantasy characters. Yeah, we created something kind of like that, but uh, for for the single down with Zeus, and it's supposed to be me as a Native American. Uh, and if you know the the headdresses that they used to wear, they sometimes like the chief would have horns on it. So because of that, yeah. yeah. So because of that. Oh, they got it confused. Yeah. They didn't know that was indigenous. Yeah, they know it was indigenous Native American culture. Now. Right. Satanical. Exactly. So then I started getting a lot of like, you know, hateful, you know, messages in my my DMs and inbox and stuff. And I was like, what's happening? So um, I decided to make this song just to kind of poke fun at those people that were making those accusations. Um, actually, you know, not satanic. <laughs> so if anybody okay. was wondering, no, I'm not. Um, but I made the song just to well, music, yeah, there are people that kind of goth, you know, kind of dark goth, you know, dark wave music sometimes mixes those kind of images. Yeah, no, and I love know, it. Like Don't death, get me wrong. Like death metal. Yeah, no, I love it. And I think that everybody should, you know, if, if that's your thing and, and that's what you like and that's who you are, I have no judgment against it at all. You know, like that's that's entirely up to them. It's none of my business, you know, what somebody believes. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I guess uh, because of the dark sound that we usually use in production, I think that people sometimes get a little confused. And they don't know quite what's going on if it's, you know, that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. it's all the part of being like an indie artist and a producer that like you might not do what's typical. Right. Yeah. Um, so they, when you do something that's new or different, sometimes you'll get hate mail from people who want to hear what they think you should sound like. Right. You know, and they're like, okay, you, you as an artist, you're going to sound like the way you're going to sound. Right. <laughs> And you might have your own ideas about how you want to do things. Um, But yeah, I mean, yeah, fans can be like, you know, you can get some fans like they like one of your songs and then they want you to repeat it 10,000 times. Yeah. And then they won't ever like anything else you do except that one song they like. Right. And they don't want you to do anything different because they want you to keep on doing the same one. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So this one, sorry, you were saying. No, but I think that's like, as an artist, you always got to run into that. Cause like whatever your biggest success is, sometimes you never match your biz- biggest success. Yeah. And then, you know, producers and fans want you to continue to stay. Like, in, for example, for Prince, people wanted him to do Purple Rain like 10 million times. Right, yeah. No. And he, he was way beyond it. He didn't want to do it anymore. And, um, and, and it, it, that, you know, that happens to every big band. You know, people want, the Eagles want to hear Hotel California. Mm-hmm all the time right. that's all they want to hear yeah. uh, and so like as an artist you have to kind of find a way to work around that mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah I mean I try to do a lot of different stuff with my music I try to I feel like I can't really categorize myself into just one genre there's just so much stuff yeah. music is genuinely so much fun for me and I just I think that experimenting and kind of finding what you like and, and finding different sounds and seeing how your voice is, you know, put against those sounds, how that, how that comes out. I think that process is so much fun for me. And I think that putting myself into like just one genre, I don't think I would be happy. You know what I mean? So I always try to experiment with different stuff, but yeah, if you listen to AHS, um, it's totally different than if you were to listen to something like uh, the obsession album that I did, which was, more like old Hollywood meets trap music. It's kind of weird, but people really like it. So, you know, 
it's totally different yeah, AHS though you know it's like AHS is like a R&B pop vibe so yeah 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 it sounds like yeah like you go to your theorem uh, record yeah theorem is then, very like it takes place in space it's like a fantasy situation yeah and then you have like dark passenger and that's like that's got a different feel so yeah and then you've got all these collab singles that you appear on yeah um so you've been that's the one thing i always ask people because we're kind of dumping around but a lot of times i'll ask artists like are you collaborating with any other artists and you're you're doing that um and you're already you know mixing genres which is one of the questions i always ask because Mm -hmm. like you know i'm kind of rooted in progressive rock which is progressive rock is a mixture of classical um you know and um you know rock right and jazz i love you, like my, i love it i absolutely yeah, love it. like I, I a lot of the bands that yeah maynard i love maynard from tool i love his music oh yeah i kind of go further back i go like emerson lake and palmer peter oh, gabriel yeah. Genesis. okay yes that's, yeah that's really good I'm, I'm a keyboard i'm a keyboard player so i play synthesizers I like hardware synthesizers like moogs and profits and rollins and yamahas and hammonds and so my heroes are guys like Keith Emerson Love and uh, Tony Banks from Yes. And, you know, the guys who actually play the keys. Right. And Greg Goldman, you know, the guys who play Hammond B3s and play Steinways and play Moogs. Um, and a lot of electronic music has kind of changed from electronic music initially was people playing Moogs or Prophets or Roland Jupiters. And now it's become people who are DJs that actually don't play keys right. um, and actually produce. And I kind of try to go back with my music to the days when people actually played, you know, Hammond B3s and Jupiter 8s and, you know, Rollins and DX7s, because that's, you know, you get bands like Churches that still do that. Um, you know, bands like Wilco and Radiohead, they still do that. Yeah. Um, but like electronic music for to me is that that that's what I'm into. That's the sound that I, I do, which is kind of different than what is going on right now yeah no but um, there's always like a a pocket for everybody you know like not, not everybody likes whatever's on the radio so it, it's, yeah so i understand when you're saying you're mixing genres that's i'm totally you know into that because that's what i you know i listen to punk bands like the clash yeah. and then i'll listen to bands like churches yeah and i'll listen to duran duran and i'll listen to hendrix I listen to the Eagles, you know, so, so I'm all over the map. I listen to Dylan, you know, to get for lyrics because oh, yes. Dylan, like his, his lyrics as a singer songwriter, whether you like his voice or not, his poetry, oh, his love- lyrics, his flow is unbelievable. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think every, every writer, you know, should kind of go back and look at what's been done at a high level. You get guys like acts like the Beatles, Acts like Dylan and Hendrix to kind of give you like the high mark to shoot for, and then you do your own thing, you know. But but you see these great classic artists, and some people are like, I don't want to deal with that. I want to totally disrupt that, and doing that's fine. If people want to reinvent whatever they're doing, well, but I think it's always good to go back. It's like if you're a piano player, you learn classical music to learn how to play. <laughs> you know um so that's the whether or not you stay in that genre you might move into gospel you might move into soul you might move into funk but if you get good bones when you start you end up being like a better player you know but that's my take on that but maybe we want to talk about how you got into music 
You still there? Oh, did we lose you? I think I lost your signal. I don't hear you. Hello? 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 Yeah, you're still there? Hey. You just dropped, you dropped yeah, off. I'm still here. So well, oh, I, wanted to kind I don't of just, know what happened. Yeah, it just dropped a little bit. But um, uh, So I was asking, could maybe we talk about like what, what age you got into music? What, what made you get into it? Yeah, I actually grew up in a very musical home. Uh, my mom was a singer, um, but I never really pursued it until just recently. So just recently, I had a lot of close friends of mine around me say, hey, you know what, you should probably pursue this. Like, you should probably do some of this stuff. Like instead of, you know, singing in the shower or singing for your friends, like mm-hmm. actually put something out. So I decided to flesh it out and I did it and I put out a couple of singles just to kind of test the water and I I really liked it. I had a lot of fun doing it. So I decided to do an EP and then I put out Theorem and here we are today. Um, but yeah, I started um, probably like straight out of high school. I got into the behind the scenes of the whole music business, which was uh, working at a recording studio and working in film and photography. So that's that's one of the things that uh, allowed me to learn a lot about the behind the scenes on, you know, the music and everything like that. Uh, there's still a lot that I don't know about being like an actual musician, you know, because I'm kind of new to this. Like I just started what I would say 2016, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So not I haven't really like you know pursued pursued it like that before. So. Yeah, that's how I really got into it. It's just kind of just for fun, just to see what happens. So uh, do you play an instrument or are you mostly a vocalist and you work with like um, other people to come up with the music? I, um, I'm a vocalist. I play a little bit of guitar um, and I basically I, I co-produce everything that that I work on. I work with uh, Ace Divine, which is a producer in Houston. And uh, he owns Anarchy Studios, so um, I usually work out of there. And I work with him, you know, writing songs and uh, composing and arranging and all that. Uh, for the most part, that's like the two the the two people that you'll know that's always working on my music. But I also um, I love working with other people because I feel like when you work with different types of singers and different types of musicians it's just different like you learn a lot from their process you learn a lot from what they do and they see music a whole nother way like they have a different perspective from you so I think that's a lot of fun and I think that's why I've been doing some some more of that like you know uh features and stuff like that so yeah so so I had a question like when you're coming up with your demos so do mm-hmm. you put something down like on a guitar or do you put something down like in a in a digital audio workstation or you just like do a vocal tape? How do you actually come up with like a demo? Well, um, the first EP that I did was the Obsession one. And that one, I mean, there's a different process for every song for me. Sometimes it happens like if you hear a good instrumental and you just you know, you just start writing kind of like stream of consciousness. And next thing you know, 15 minutes later, you're like, I have a song, <laughs> you know, yeah. sometimes it happens that way. But for uh, Obsession, which was the first EP that I did, that one was a bunch of just like voice memos in my phone. It was just a, I, I grew up on um, 
watching like old Hollywood movies and mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe and uh, Audrey Hepburn and stuff like that. So I really loved that old film and, and uh, the songs that they would do back in that era. It was just very fascinating to me. So I think it comes easily for me to do that kind of music and write that way. Uh, and I have a bunch of memos in my phone and I showed that to Ace, which is my producer. And I told him, hey, you know, I have like all these little voice memo songs in my phone. What do you think we should do? And he's like, you have a whole album in there, you know, and it's just yeah. like me singing just <laughs> random stuff. Yeah. And I've he actually, actually yeah. I've talked to other yeah, bands he, that they come up with that same technique. That's yeah. A, that's yeah. A common technique to actually nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, I would assume. Well, it's just so easy to like just pull out your phone and record Especially something if like you have an idea. Singers and a vocalist who are primary, like that's their primary yeah. instrument, tend to do that. You know, people who are like guitar players or keyboard players or bass players, sometimes they'll they'll put stuff down like on a right. Like, like I have like task yeah, and like Zoom recorders, and I just like. Cause I'm a synthesizer player. I have like modular modes and stuff. So I'll let the, the stream of consciousness stuff you're talking about with like a keyboard mm-hmm. player or a synthesizer player, we'll let our analog equipment kind of create an atmospheric sound. And then I'll do right. stream of consciousness. A lot of the ghost stuff is all stream of consciousness kind of like Dylan-esque. It kind of itself, right? That, yeah, that we kind of just let the machines kind of speak. Like the ghost in the machines and these synths kind of create yeah sounds and then i just go with what that 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 mood you know a lot of like synth music is like mood music the vibe yeah the vibe <laughs> yeah. Just, so i can totally get when you're saying like that you kind of stream of consciousness because I, I i think a lot of great artists if you go back to the great musicians you know if you go back mm-hmm. to the big sessions back in the 70s bands would just yeah. go in the studio and they just kind of go you know they just put the yeah. tape on and then play and then see what they got you know, and like mm-hmm. Neil Young and, and Zeppelin and Allman Brothers, they used to just, you know, Grateful Dead, they would just run the tape. And then they go back to yeah. the tape and pull out the songs. The best stuff, yeah. Yeah, I think a lot yeah. of times, it, 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 if you try, you know, you get the great guys like Springsteen, like took Born to Run, he took like six months to write that, and he's kept on going over and over. And sometimes, like, mm-hmm. a song takes that kind of, kind of, like, dedication and and, but sometimes there are songs that just come out. They just come out of you. And they just, yeah, they do. And you don't know why, but it just, that's it. Just there. <laughs> I don't know how they came to be, but they, they exist now. Yeah. yeah, so that's how Obsession happened. And Asa actually took those recordings of the, the vocal recordings that I had, and he's, he produced around it. He created all of the production that you hear there. He kind of built off of just the vocal itself. And I thought that was so cool. Did you have to um, go back and redo the vocals or did you take the originals? No, no, I redid the vocals. We just like put down like a dummy, mm-hmm. uh, a dummy track just so kind of it. to have a stencil. Yeah, yeah, to have a stencil. And then after that, once he created the production, then I went back and I recorded the vocals and everything, you know, professionally and not in the phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes they're like, like punk bands are kind of famous for taking like lo-fi recordings and kind of building off of them just to get the kind yeah. Of, no, I love lo-fi. Uh, I love lo-fi. Yeah, because of the honesty of it, you know. Because sometimes, exactly. like, if you get a band like go back in the day, a band like Who's to Do or The Replacements, and you know, uh, a lot of the old Black Flags, like hardcore kind of punk bands would go and just yeah. do like first, second take. 
you know, the Ramones. You know, they would go first, second take, first, third take. And kind of, kind of like in that genre, it, it, it works. And if you're trying to do mm-hmm. like more modern music, people tend to have more perfect mixes. But I have kind of been a, like a person that likes the old kind of live feel of like studio recording with a band and maybe only on the second or third take getting it, you know, which is, is a different way of doing things. Then, because like, then once you have a DAW, one of the thing dangers of the DAW is that you can try to make everything sound so perfect that you lose the the the, the ambiance of, of of yeah, yeah. Of, of something that's more raw. Like if you do a, like an unplugged performance, might capture some honesty that if you go in the studio and you make it perfect, that you lose that. Like right. what was in yeah. your demo, then what's in your final? Sometimes there are elements in that demo that would be good to actually have in the final. <laughs> Yeah, no, we, we're pretty big on that, too. We don't ever want to, like, lose feeling on, on what we do because we are very perfectionist about what we do. But then again, there are some some songs that we've worked on that we just said, you know what, we like how this sounds. It's just very honest and very raw. And let's yeah. just leave it that way. Yeah, so, I'm kind of a big purveyor told- of, of the honesty and the rawness of, like, the first or second take rather than the ninth or tenth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think sometimes as as you get further away from the original take, then the honesty of the original recording starts to fade. And then yeah, the rawness true. or the emotion that drove drove the song. Like there's a big story where like like um Tangled Up in Blue from Bob Dylan. There's a there's a a raw tape of him doing it, but you kind of mm-hmm. hear like um some buttons on his jacket hitting the microphone. And so they didn't mm-hmm. use it. But in a bootleg, well, in a in an archive um, uh, collection, the original demo of Tangled Up in Blue that has his buttons hitting the mic actually has different lyrics and it has like an honesty and delivery that makes it probably the best version of the song. Yeah, <laughs> you know I have. Make... <laughs> yeah. You know? So that's no, that's I... one of the examples of sometimes if you EQ or take out what you think is a bad thing, it actually might be more. It might be a better recording than what you thought it was. Yeah, for sure. We actually, we have a song that we worked on for the Obsession EP. And uh, it's just exactly what you're talking about. And, and like I said, that one was kind of more like an old Hollywood feel. So back then they didn't really do, you know, you remember the recordings back then weren't like super high quality or anything yeah. like that. So we on purpose decided to kind of do a jam session, just like a jam session for a, a, a record that we did called Underneath These Diamonds. It's the fifth song on that EP. And we decided to just kind of have a piano in there and um, a guitarist and just singing like it was a, a one take type of thing, <laughs> you know, like like a live recorded with the band and not not overdubbed, just like at the moment. Right, it was in the moment, and yeah. uh, that's that's how we did that one. And a lot of people like it because of that feeling that you get. It's yeah. just with well, honesty, kind of comes yeah. through. You know, when you go back and you listen to these bands like Fleetwood Mac, you know, on Rumors, and you hear some of those performances, you're like, people get into Rumors because there's like honesty of right. the band like telling their story which is very kind of personally damaging to them right mm-hmm. but but you know that's always the rub like an artist like if you reveal too much 
and everybody kind of sees your open wound. And right. it's like, do you really want to do that? It's hard to live like that. And you, yeah. you do want to do the, the best for the art, but you got to kind of think it's a, it's, a, it's a balance between kind of protecting your personal life and then being an artist that kind of you know, like shows the world. Oh, your art. Yeah. And it, I think it's always been a rub. Like you get a jazz job and they kind of bear, bear, would bear soul to the point where, you know, maybe it was too much. Um, right. It's always, I think, so what do you think about that as a writer? Like when you write songs, do you think about like, am I telling tell too much of my personal life or do you not care about that? You Like if it serves the song, you're going to do it. You know, I think that there's a little bit of both of those uh, in the thought process of that whole thing. Um, because yes, it is very vulnerable to to write something and then it's like so close to you, you know? So there's definitely a vulnerability there that you're exposing and you're afraid sometimes that, you know, how are people gonna react to this? Is this too personal? Is it too much? But um, I do feel like a lot of musicians, a lot of singers that I've come across, they, they feel the same way. And one of the things that they always say to me is, well, you know, part of it, why we're doing this, is because it's a sort of therapy. You know, yeah. if you don't do that, then it's almost like you can't move on from that, you know? So yeah. at the same time, like, I kind of make my peace with it and I say, you know what? It's, it's a good thing to let it out and to kind of immortalize it in a place and leave it there. And move yeah, on. Sometimes people yeah. don't, you know, you might think that everybody knows what you're saying because it's so close to you. But right. a lot of times the feelings you have, even though it might be close to you, is like universal. Everybody feels like loss and pain and remorse and like longing and the things that happen to people in relationships or things that happen in your life. They can be like, you know, a lot of reasons why people love musicians is they'll, they're actually, you know, hearing something that's a mirror of their life. And right. they, they understand it because a songwriter is, is saying something that triggers a memory that is kind of like it's their their version of it. But the songwriter had their version and everybody reads your song a different way. But if you're honest and you can trigger those feelings, then, you know, that's that's what happens. And it's like it's cathartic. You know, I think like I, I, use my, I think music is like therapy for the artist. A lot of artists are like I have to for do sure. it whether I make money or not, I just have to put these songs out and I just do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. This way, it's like one day I'm going to be 80 years old and I'm going to regret that I didn't do that. You know what I mean? I'm going to say, what, what was I thinking? I should have just done it. So I'm, yeah. I'm, glad I'm just kind of doing it, not thinking too much about it because then I tend to overthink it, you know, and then I might not do it. So uh, it's better to just say, hey, you know what? Let me just put this out there and move on to the next chapter and just. So, have you ever like, got into a song where, like, you started to like maybe overthink it and then maybe overcompose it and then you end up like dropping it because it ends up becoming like not what you originally wanted and you're like, oh, I have to, maybe I just have to drop this one because it's not working. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Absolutely. That kind of thing happens all the time and that's why I feel like it's so important to have a good team because then they can kind of talk you off the ledge and say okay look <laughs> we're doing too much here let's not overthink that let's do this or let's simplify the process so I um 
I, I try not to do that too much because then, like I said, you know, I feel like it, it starts to um, kind of break down the song. You know what I mean? And you yeah. start to kind of apart. Yeah. And I think it's like a lot of stories of like famous musicians like Hendrix. There's a, a lot of stories yeah. of Hendrix doing like 20, 30 different guitar solos. And right. then, and then yeah. the engineer saying, well, they're all good. Right. And then you're no, kind of like, well, which, which one do you use? Because if you start going too far, then you start wondering, like, which one should I use? And so, like, yeah. it, so it's kind of like the same thing with, like, how many different versions of your lyrics or vocals can you do on a song till you're, like, you're overdoing it. And then you got to, like, start splicing from version five to version two to version ten. No, no. See, and you know how earlier you were talking about, well, there's there's a certain beauty in some of those flaws. Yeah. You know, some of that rawness. So... Uh, sometimes you got to kind of know when to stop, <laughs> you know, yeah, and just yeah, keep those like, yeah. yeah, there's a tendency today in today's world, you know, you could have somebody in Berlin recording something and then somebody in LA taking it and then splicing it all over the place. And then you're like, you know, that song is like not, it's so produced. It's like not overproduced. It, yeah. yeah. It's like, it's, it's, it's you, you hear it sometimes where you say, well, yeah, that's a cool song and it's, pitch perfect and the beat's perfect but does it really have any life you know does it it, it sounds great right. but if i compared it to like rumors or i compared it to tangled up in blue or i compared it to something from like bruce springsteen or even friends does it really make you want to go back and right. that, i yeah. think that's one of the things going on today you can make perfectly produced songs but they don't have the impact Mm-hmm. And that's so true. I think that's where they're missing that one thing that's the critical thing. <laughs> right. It's the critical, yeah. the critical thing, that's for sure. No, I try yeah, to make sure thing. that I I don't do that. I don't I don't like the idea of overproducing um my work. I don't know. I, I think that it's better if it's, you know, honest, I guess, you know, like more just yeah. For you, you yeah, know, I and, hear and, that a lot, a lot today, where a lot of people are kind of, you know, because I'm like, I'm a big purveyor in electronic music of analog instruments right. rather than plugins, just because if you have a Moog or you have like a Prophet or you have one of these like traditional old school analog synths, the mm-hmm. thing about them is like you can't always recall that patch or you can't always recall that pad, so it becomes kind of point in time. Uh, and and that's the kind of beauty of it. Then the, you make something that's very unique. It can't be cloned, and it, it has like an authenticity because it's kind of like an organic performance. Um, yeah. Even though it's a it's an electronic instrument, it gives you that kind of bones that like somebody with a guitar running mm-hmm. through a certain set of you know amps or or you know it's a certain model, and only that model is going to have that tone. Um, right that gives you like a character that can't be like just pulled from from some like you know doll. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, and um I work a lot out of uh like I said before Anarchy Studios and the thing about this studio is that it's mostly digital everything, you know? We don't really uh record like live stuff like you know a lot of my stuff is digital but at the same time I feel like where we try to keep it very just honest is just in the vocal to not overproduce the vocal or 
you know, I have a few songs that um, I do like auto tune so much, but I only like it when I do like hip hop stuff. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. so when I really like the auto tune. It's just fun. You know, it's just one of those fun, uh, fun little yeah. gadgets in the studio. But for singing, singing, I, I try to not do it because I really, it just doesn't, you know, it's not for me like to sing with. Uh, yeah, but if like, you're a vocalist, I think it can yeah. kind of take out the emotion. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. If you're trying to convey as a vocalist and you are a vocalist and your your instrument is your vocals, you're kind right. of like compressing your vocal to right. not reveal the fragility of it, you know, right. which is, I think is the one thing vocalists can kind of, you know, they can cut across a feeling of like sadness or sensuality or passion or whatever. But if you put that too much of the, you know, electronic stuff on it, Mm-hmm. You can kind of wipe it out, right? Yeah. For certain uh, genres like EDM or trance or hip hop, you can do that because it doesn't matter to the song. As right. Much, but if you're trying to convey something else, then it might not work. Yeah, I mean, I like those those fun songs, you know, or the fun hip hop songs and yeah, music and stuff like that. Like if you're trying to do a banging um, track, you know, it doesn't really. Maybe you're not trying to convey like a Tangled Up in Blue or or Springsteen or. Fleetwood Mac, or you're not trying to convey like a vocal performance that has, that yeah, you're just having fun. It's kind of like a dance track. It's like a you know, like the it's a pop track that isn't supposed to be deep, but when you're trying to do something deep, I think you kind of got to go with the get more like less produced vocal, more kind of like take the, your natural beauty of your voice and let it go through, and maybe just enhance it with the equalization or different effects to enhance it, but not radically change it you know what i mean you still there i think you cut off a little bit hello yeah, yeah. Can you hear yeah now i hear you. yeah sometimes you okay. drop off a little bit yeah no, i was saying i totally understand that and yeah like for me I, d- I don't really like um over like overproducing my vocal that's for sure and um, it's crazy because okay, sometimes, like, like you'll one of the things I do, disorder. which is a little different, is like I actually play a character in my band, and I actually use mm-hmm. voice coders to create a female character named Josephine Electric, and she she oh, is cool. created <laughs> by using like Roland voice coders, but I don't use like auto tune. I actually use a voice coder that changes the pitch of my voice to make it kind of like Princess Camille, or or gotcha. uh, when um. Funkadelic uh, used to do certain O's of uh, George Clinton. He created a character. So I kind of went back to like when George Clinton created a character for Parliament for Funkadelic called Sir O's. And then Prince created a character called Camille. It's actually like you're, you're playing like, a, you're like an actor. You're trying to be like a method actor and you're presenting a character that is you as a different like voice. And so it, it's a right. different type of thing than auto-tune. It's, it's actually trying to do what they do in Hollywood to create like cartoon characters or different characters in movies. Right, it's, it's working with the pitch. Yeah. So you're changing the of pitch the control yeah. and ch- doing that. But... Oh, that's a lot of fun. I love doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. So I spent two like years creating my, my lead singer of my band is Josephine, and Josephine is me. <laughs> and so, like, yeah, she sings like 90% of the songs, and then I sing in my voice maybe 10% of the songs. But, um, oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I want to hear it. Yeah, it's different. <laughs> That's really cool. It yeah, it's, it's just a different way. And a weird thing is, when I use my male voice, my songs don't do as mm-hmm. well 
as the Josephine character I've created. Every time I use Josephine, oh, my fans like Josephine. You know what? They like means. Josephine better than they like me. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, Josephine's winning. I yeah. love it. <laughs> so I said, you know what? I'm just stay Josephine. Songs always win, so I'm just stay with Josephine. But yeah, so yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you never know. But uh, yeah, just allowed me to kind of put myself in the this character I created. You know, the, but. Yeah, it's a different way of thinking, but um, kind of like you know, it's a little bit of acting. Yeah, yeah, like it's a I, little bit of acting when you do music too. Yeah, right? kind of like Bowie. Bowie used to say, the reason he got big is he brought theater into rock. It, oh yes, it, I it, know. I love that. His whole thing, like when he, when he was just playing, you know, his name was David Jones, and he, when he put out mm-hmm. an album as David Jones, it went nowhere. Right, and then when right. he created Ziggy. And he created this character. Mm. And then he found his whole career, he just kept on creating characters. From Ziggy to the Thin White Duke to, you know, Aladdin Sane to, he just kept on, because he found, like, when he created people that weren't him, that were, like, this different right. version of him. And he projected it on stage. And he said, you know what, that's not me. And people might think I'm Ziggy, but I'm really not Ziggy. I'm just playing Ziggy. And, um, right. and I think that was brilliant, because then you get guys like, you know, like uh, from Queen, uh, and then you get Prince. You know, he basically played a character too. You know, that wasn't really him. But but it's just the idea that sometimes if you're an artist, that you project this other you. Did that end up? Yeah, I have two other me's. I have like two of those. Yeah, so you found that the, works the for you. Yeah, for sure. I have the Karim Zafania, which is how you know me, and then there's this other entity, which is uh, Zef Monroe. And then another entity that's Zeph the Allfather. So I totally understand that. I, I feel like it's fun to do that. It's a little bit of acting. It's a little bit of throwing yourself into something else. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of fun. I totally understand Bowie. Yeah, yeah. Totally good I actually worked with a, a lady that we did an album a couple years ago named one named All Control K, and she would project characters. And we kind of did an yeah. album together because she was – she had like four or five different personas. Um, That's cool. And, and we used one of them for the record we did, but yeah, we were kind of in the same spot because she liked the idea that Josephine wasn't, you know, was this other character. And um, and then she was doing a character that was kind of like a male character and, and a female character. And so we was like, oh, that was, that's a cool idea to, to kind of mix those two together. Um, so yeah, I think it's already... Yeah, it's just cool to try things that are different, you know, kind of, well, you know, it's not, I mean, Bowie kind of did this androgynous character that, you know, Ziggy was like a woman and a guy, you couldn't tell, and it was kind of mixing right. that before anybody even did that, before the new romantics or new wave. Yeah, it was innovative. Yeah, it was definitely yeah, innovative. It was like 74, and he's doing it before the 80s, you know, <laughs> he's doing it before Freddie right. Mercury. He did it before everybody. And it's like, you know, he was the guy, you know, Little Richard. And look who was doing it. Yeah, Little Richard might have done it before he did. But um, but the way he did it was different than what Little Richard did. Um, so it's always interesting. It was more theatrical. Yeah. It was exaggerated. Yeah, it was like so exaggerated. Yeah. This whole cosmic space thing going on with it, too, which, you know, the sci-fi part of it. Yeah, but that's interesting. So maybe talk about your characters. Maybe tell me more about your characters, how you use them in your music and how they're different. 
Well, the first one that kind of uh, happened was uh, uh, Undone with Zeus when we did that single. And um, that one was before we put out Obsession. And it was called Down with Zeus. And in there, basically, I play a character, which is that Final Fantasy character that I was telling you about. And this character is somewhat of a, a godlike mentality if you will. So it calls itself Zeph the All-Father, right? So basically it's like a god. Okay, so like, like a Norse god or like a Greek god. Yeah, like something like that. Yeah, like a, a mythical situation, yeah. you know, like, or, or like even Greek mythology, yeah, that kind cool. of thing. Like the alien, using yeah. ideas for that, are always good. <laughs> or, yeah, so it's just... Zeph, like instead of it being Zephania, it's Zeph, the All-Father. And that one is uh, basically the god. And then um, the other character was born during Obsession. And that's like the more old Hollywood, uh, Marilyn Monroe type of vibe. Oh, like a Hollywood so fan, like to... a total, like, like <laughs> Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, so that, one's, uh -huh, so that one's Zeph Monroe. And that's that's who you're hearing on Obsession. That's Zeph Monroe all the all the way, like 100. percent That's cool. So you change yeah. you change your vocals Thank a little bit for each character, the, the kind of tone, or you through your. Yeah, I think so. I think that for Obsession, it's a little bit more sultry. Yeah. You know, it's a little bit more uh, throaty. Has that Marilyn so vibe to it? Lower? Do you bring uh, a little lower to do that? Yeah, I would say so for, for some things here and there. More breathy, yeah. that kind of thing. Uh, but for Zeph the All-Father, it's more like, you know, Thor's hammer. Yeah, like Odin. <laughs> Something Odin's like that. Son. Yeah, or Odin, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Odin's son there. Exactly. Yeah, kind of power. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's a little bit more threatening with Zeph the All-Father. But uh, Zeph Monroe is a lot more fun, I think. Yeah, well, actually, that's a cool idea to kind of bring that, you know, the, those ideas out, you know. Because um, that's the whole thing about, I love about progressive music is you could kind of play these, like, rock, op, like rock opera. Like, the whole idea back in right. the 70s, you'd have, you know, Sticks doing these big rock operas, Kansas doing rock, rock, rock operas, you know. The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway's Genesis Rock Opera. You got The Who with Tommy and Quadrophenia. Yes, with like Fragile. Yeah. You got Pink Floyd doing their The Wall and Wish You Were oh. Here. They, the idea I, of albums. I was waiting for you to get this Pink question, Floyd. I love you do albums so in the 80s, much. Like albums in the 70s, people used to like to have themes to the point where they actually might be yes. a full concept album. Where today mm -hmm. is kind of a single oriented world but in hip-hop concept albums are still big you got like butterfly you got tyler the creator with e igor you got you know a lot of albums um even like channel warren from frank ocean they've got themes right. they're theme-based albums um and so it seems like within hip-hop and some r&b there are still these theme-based albums but rock seems to have kind of dropped out of that there are not as many of those. I mean, Radiohead does it. Yeah, Wilco do it. Um, Radiohead. Yeah, they'll still do like theme-based albums, but a lot of bands are just like single-oriented. So, what, what are right. your thoughts? I, I know you do a lot of singles, but you do EPs and albums too. So, 
Yeah, I think that um, for the albums, I really do like to kind of follow that whole theme. Um, that's just, I don't know, it's just for Theorem, for example, we, we revisited that project so many times and we took songs out, put songs in, and, uh, you know, we decided on the final uh, uh, track list because of the theme of the whole album. And that's really important to me because I feel like if you throw in a bunch of different stuff, it just feels kind of disconnected to me. Yeah, so, like I don't know. That's just... Yeah, I mean, the 50, like the Beatles are the one that kind of forced the idea of an album being thought of as a, as a concept. You know, when Sgt. Pepper's right. kind of started it. There were albums before that, but the Beatles kind of cemented it. And then from that point onward, you had like Pet Sounds and you have all these other bands trying to be like the Beatles or trying to, you know, channel the Beatles. You've got Hendrix, like Electric Olivia, trying to channel the idea of the Beatles. Um, And so you got all these bands that were inspired by what the Beatles did, trying to either tighten the concepts up and make it, you know, like Tommy, like Pete Townsend went and took that and said, you know, Sgt. Pepper is a concept, but it's not really clear what it is. Right. It's got a feeling. Tommy, it's very clear. It's a story. You know, Quadrophenia right. is a story. Pink Floyd albums, they're stories. And so you start to see yeah. bands actually doing, you know, full, full, like, stories that actually have, like, little mini novels, sonic novels. Yeah, no, I love those. I love those. I, th- I think those are so creative and they're a lot of hard work goes into putting those together, but like the end result is so beautiful. So I, I really appreciate those story albums for sure. But I think, I don't know, I think um, everybody has their own perspective and how they kind of put together their art. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I think I just, I like the concept album a lot. So that's just a personal preference, so I guess. So are you thinking of doing any further um my or new albums in 19, 20, you know, 2019 or 2020 that would go that way? Um, like a concept, you mean? Yeah. Like a concept album or story? Yeah. I think so. I Well, I think that the, the yeah, I think so. I think that Obsession is probably one of those closer to a story type of album. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that whole concept wasn't even my story, really. It was a borrowed concept, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was Ace Divine. He came up with that concept. Bit, and... yeah. yeah. Hello. Yeah. yeah. That was uh, Ace Divine's uh, Ace Divine's uh, concept, which is my producer. He created oh, he a Dark Passenger Origins. Yeah. And then he decided, like the second year, he was like, "Why don't you take over the project and you kind of tell the story through that." So the story of that, if you look at the album cover, it's me wearing like a Hannibal mask and in a street jacket. So that's kind of like, it's called Obsession because it's an album or a story about excess, you know? Yeah, it looked kind of like Matrix, like sadomasochist kind of fetish stuff, but I wasn't sure which direction it was going. it wasn't supposed to come off that way. (laughs) You know, I didn't think of it when I started. Well, it might be how I perceive it because Josephine char- <laughs> character is kind of projecting this phantom dominatrix is what she is. But um, but, so I it's supposed of, to be like I Hannibal it. and Marilyn Monroe, okay. sorta. Well, yeah, it's you more know, horror esque. Yeah, but it came it came out like totally different. Well, not different, but it, it has an unexpected element. Yeah, so, yeah. for sure. 
think that was like a Damo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, you know, yeah, and you know, I, to create an image, people perceive it the way they see it. You know, right? Exactly, and and they and you know, as they rightfully should. You know, everybody has their own perspective. Uh, I kind of put my perspective out there, and the way that they kind of translate that or they perceive it is different. But that was, yeah, it was basically a story. Like, think of it like Marilyn Monroe meets Hannibal. Yeah, and that's the cover. <laughs> well, I guess so, yeah, you that's see the... that, that it kind of can come off as a domo a little bit. Yeah, for sure. But, no, I totally get it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I can understand the horror aspects of it. More, more even more like Japanese horror. Um, it right. Come yeah. off that way too. Yeah, that too. Yeah, no, and I like that. I mean, both of those things are pretty cool. So why not? Yeah, well, there's so many things that can cross over. You can get a Japanese horror, and people get into like anime-based horror or video game-based like concepts and so anime and manga have all these kind of things that you can bring in to music and there's some modern music that brings those elements and then like you're bringing in the Marilyn Monroe and people can bring in you know flapper stuff in the 20s I've seen oh yeah and they kind of try to bring that back because you haven't seen that in a while yeah everything yeah, uh, the Go Go Girls of the sixties, yeah. you know, like the nineteen yeah, sixties mod look. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing too. Yeah, yeah that would be cool. cool. Yeah, well, everything's kind of open. This in this age, you could bring back something from the seventies. You could bring back something from the twenties. You could bring back something from the fifties. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's just like everybody. No, I think it's so fun. It's so fun, like to do that because you know I didn't grow grow up in those. Uh, eras but I, there's so much stuff about it that i liked so i feel like why not if you're an artist you can kind of explore and dabble in that and just kind of you know find out what that might have been like yeah kind of well, a little cool, kind of like if you, you like to kind of put yourself into like kind of method musicianship you know can people talk about method actors like if you when you start to put yes. yourself into a character i call it like method musicianship it's like you put yourself into the character for that moment Kind yeah, of like I love that. But we put, so put himself fun. in the Ziggy or Thin White Duke or Aladdin Sane. And he was Aladdin yeah. Sane for the whole record. Or he's Ziggy for the whole record. And yeah. that kind of, it, it, you know, Freddie Mercury used to do it too. I mean, he had that character he would put into those songs. And he, he would project that kind of, you know, like he's like an actor. And did you ever watch that one movie that Eddie, Eddie did where he has glasses and braces? What was oh, that yeah. called? Was it Bowfinger or something like that? Oh, yeah, 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 Bowfinger, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he totally threw himself into that. Well, so Eddie I, was yeah. really good at kind of projecting, like, becoming characters. You know, he does it in a humorous way, but, it, you know, it's the same as, like, Pacino or De Niro when they put themselves into, like, Raging Bull or Dog yeah. Day Afternoon. Right. And sometimes comedy is even harder. Um um, but you know, a lot of people give credit to all the dramatic actors, but comedy, when you project yourself into a character, that can be very difficult as well. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, I imagine so. A lot of comedians are able to do dramatic roles that you wouldn't thought they could do. You know, um, they, they, they find that comedians can like can kick, kick off characters. Did you ever watch uh, Third Rock from the Sun? Oh, yeah, do you remember uh, the character Dick Solomon? Yeah, yeah. He is actually in a show called Dexter, which is about a, uh, uh, he's basically a vigilante killer. 
Oh yeah, it's, yeah, I've seen that yeah. movie. I've seen, I've seen that show. That was a good show. I used to watch. Well, if you if you start watching, if you finish, I finished the whole thing. I was obsessed with that show. Uh, if you finish the whole thing, you'll see that the the same actor from uh, Third Rock from the Sun appears in that show for a season, and he's a very like serious character. Like you would never expect it, and yeah. it's, he's very like actually really scary in the show because he looks so funny on the other show. The third rock yeah, from the I've seen the, yeah, I've seen. It, it, there's been a history of like comedians being able to pull off performances that have a lot more depth than people thought they could do, and it just seems yeah. like comedy is, is actually hard to do. And yeah. um, a, a comedic actor sometimes has the bones to be able to do very dramatic roles. Exactly. No, I was super impressed with that. I, that was the first time that I experienced that, and I was like, wow, I had no idea. But yeah, it's it's crazy, and I think that if um, if musicians do a little bit more of that, I think they'll. It, it's just a fun record or a fun album, you know. They kind of do the the method acting, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, you see people do that, you know. It just kicks off. It just carries off a lot of power, you know. When mm-hmm. when when you can do that, um, but I think we're getting near the end. But um, yeah, we we I like to put this out. It will come out tonight, and you'll get the links, and it's going to be on, like, 11 different podcast platforms, awesome. uh, including iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher, Radio Public. Um, as they get published, I'll send you the links through um, your Instagram, uh, and uh, we do have an ad on it from Spotify, because that's how we get paid, but... <laughs> awesome. um, Nothing wrong with yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, but like one thing we like to do is we like to follow up with everybody that we've talked to. We've talked to some people three, four times over the last two years. So mm-hmm. as you have new projects that come out, uh, one thing we've done is like when you have an album release, sometimes we'll do a, a show where we'll talk about every new every song on your new album. Um, Perfect. So, that sounds cool. So if you, if you have something scheduled, to give us a heads up and we'll put it on the schedule and we'll do a you know we'll listen to your record and then we'll do a song by song talk about each each song perfect well i actually am working in the studio right now working on some new projects so pretty soon i am going to be having an album out i can't talk too much about you know what it's going to be yet (laughs) but Mm -hmm. um pretty soon yeah we're, we're getting there so any day now okay great well, thank you, and we always let people know that um, the Ghost Program. We are sponsored, but we are we do have the ability to have people if they want to be a supporter. You can support the family like the Ghost Show at like um, a dollar a month, four ninety nine, or nine ninety nine, and we do offer like direct links to private links of our SoundCloud material uh, that it's not fully published. So for people who are into the ghost, they can do that if they want to support us. And we do interview indie artists around the world without charging them. And that's part of, uh, you know, if you want to help us and you like what we're doing, let's, uh, check it out. And we do have a feature called a voice memo within the Anchor podcast platform. There's a thing called a voice memo. So if you want to do a voice memo on this episode, uh, fans like Karim Stefania, if you guys want to give us feedback on um, the voice memo system. We'll be able to add those voice memos to this episode as they come in. Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you very much. And we'll talk to you later. Talk to you soon. You have a good one. Bye-bye.